Welcome to the Science of Sex, a podcast about the ins and outs of the latest research about everyone's favorite topic. Here's Dr. Jana, an NYU professor of human sexuality, and Joe, a guy who's a fan of sex. Oh, Dr. Jana, it's great to see you another week. Hello, Joe. Hello. Episode 44 of the Science of Sex podcast, and with some huge news. Woohoo! We have a sponsor of the Science Sex Podcast. We have our first sponsor indeed. And it's people that you're f- intimately familiar with. Intimately familiar? What? Well, I guess. I mean, I certainly have had some of their products in me, <laughs> on me, in my hands. So the word intimate Intim- is pretty accurate. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so it's Adam and Eve. And of course, if you, you know adamandeve.com, very popular website. You've ordered things there before, right? Well, I do, but yeah. I don't know if our listeners know that. And what is also, <laughs> all right, so the people who, who don't have. I know that you're very excited about this and you think everybody else knows about it. Well, hey, listen, I'm just so sexually liberal. Uh, you know, as you know, Dr. John, I'm just so oh, in my yeah. wallow. Oh, yeah. Right. But uh, tell <laughs> tell our friends what Adam and Eve uh, sells. It's an online sex store, basically. Oh, an okay. online retail store for all sorts of adult materials. And they have a, quite the selection of things, all sorts of things, literally. Any category of items that falls under that very big, large umbrella of adult they, novelty they items. Have it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> novelty they have it. <laughs> so if you get there to adamandeve.com for a limited time, you get 50% off just about any item. Mm. But you got to use our keyword Science. What a clever keyword. Who thought of that? Was that Adam and Eve or was that us? Actually, it was Adam and Eve who suggested that. I was like, I love that. That is uh, that is the, our code. Okay, so yes. use, the, use the code word science at checkout. That's science. And for people at home who don't know how to spell science, it's <laughs> S-C-I-E-N-C-E. And just go to adamandeve.com, use the code science, and get that 50% off deal on just about any item. You also apparently get... Three free adult DVDs, if you still watch DVDs, yeah. and a mystery gift. I love mystery. I have no idea what that mystery gift would be. I love but mystery. But if you all find out, let us know if you get anything. <laughs> <laughs> and there's free shipping. Cool. Well, scheduled on today's show is a two-time guest member of the Science Sex Podcast. Dr. Kirsten Mitchell from the UK, and she's going to try to answer this age-old conundrum that we've had. Okay. Which is? Men reporting more sexual partners than women. Because they're liars. Because they're liars. <laughs> is that why? We'll find out. Do we need to talk to we'll her? We'll find out. Yes, we do. <laughs> okay. We just, well, you know, the show's over. Yes. I've already solved it. She <laughs> already gave you the answer. All right. Excellent. And can you tell us, please, about your next sex science social, Dr. Jana? Yes, indeed. On Thursday, October 18th, you could all come to the Hacienda Villa in Bushwick, Brooklyn, for a talk on debunking sex myths that ruin lives. Hmm. And this is inspired by a talk that I gave at Burning Man, and there was so much interest among my social media folks to bring that talk to the community To the here, masses. To the masses in New yes. York who are not necessarily at Burning Man, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing. We are bringing it here to New York. Pay what you can tickets on Eventbrite, so go to eventbrite.com, debunking sex myths, and see you on Thursday. Uh, before we get Kristen Mitchell on the program, I want to talk to you about this thing I read on CNN, Dr. John. And I don't know about your opinion about if you're an anti-vaxxer. You know how there's people really? out there. You, you don't know my opinion. What is your opinion on? You don't know my opinion on vaccines. I think it's safe to say you are pro-vaccine. Yes. You are not, you are not in the uh, Jenny McCarthy fan club. No. <laughs> All right, no, good. I'm most definitely not in the club of anybody who doesn't believe in science. Okay. so I, I believe in science firmly. Firmly. And vaccines have been firmly, firmly 
very, 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 very firmly established okay. as a good thing. All right. So then and this, they do not cause autism. So this story here is something that you may you're probably going to agree with because I like to get I like to make you happy to start the show. You like to make me happy. Yeah. Do, okay. I, make I, me happy. I do the best I can. Uh, so the FDA just approved use of a HPV vaccine for men and women between the ages of 27 and 45. Woo-hoo! Now this is breaking because I know for a while we've been talking about vaccinating young children. For, well, with the, with the not HPV. Young, well, young children, but, but, but teen, teens. teens mm-hmm. right. And now all of a sudden they've jumped it up to 27 and 45. The previous one, was what I was mentioning, was 9 to 26. Yep. So obviously you woohooed. It's yes, a good thing. it's a big yoo-hoo. Yes. Absolutely big yoo-hoo because the, the reasoning before for having the HPV vaccine only be administered to people up to the age of 26 was that if you were going to get exposed to HPV, it probably would have happened by the time you turned 26. Got it. Because the majority of people will have had new sexual partners during that time. But come on. that's Yeah, that seems really weird. Like you just saying it with a straight face is like, wait a minute, people after 26 are getting it. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> still getting, getting laid. Like, yeah. yes, they're getting laid with maybe fewer partners or or many of them are in these long-term relationships, yeah. but that doesn't mean that they're never going to have a new partner. In fact, the vast majority are going to, even if they got married by the time they were 26 or about yeah. to get married to their high school sweetheart or college sweetheart, the chances of them getting divorced or cheating on a partner or you know, breaking up a relationship yeah. or losing a partner to death and then finding new partners, it's pretty high. So there are many people out there who are still sexually active yeah. past that age. Look so at you. increasing that. You're just to- a little over 26, so and you're just. <laughs> And you're doing okay. I yes. You're a couple years old and 26, right? A couple years older than 26, and just a little sexually active. Now, yes. now here's the thing. I know you probably don't know this answer, but I'm going to say it. Anyway. Why 26? That made no. That number makes no sense. Why did they do that? I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But I th- and, and to be fair, this is something that had mostly to do with insurance. So uh, still, as okay. a over 26 person, uh, you could you could go and have your doctor give you the the mm-hmm. vaccine, which yeah. is in fact I I got the. Uh, Gardasil 9, mm-hmm. so the the newer version of that HPV vaccine, the initial version only protected against four strains of HPV. Okay. So HPV is this you know, human papilloma virus has lots of different strains. Many of them are harmless. Mm-hmm. They don't cause anything. And then some cause genital warts and then others cause cancers. Okay, yeah. And the initial vaccine protected only against four of the kind of the worst strains. Okay. And uh, I think two of those were for warts, two of those were for cancers. Got it. And then later on, the nine version came out, which added five more strains to the initial four. And I was under 26 when the first version came out, so I got that covered by insurance. But then by the time the second one rolled around, I was over 26, so I paid out of pocket. So you could certainly get the vaccine, but it was never officially approved by the FDA. And now that has finally happened, so my guess is... That means now insurance will cover it. Interesting. So, if again, I hate when we get too personal here, but so you've had the vaccine, you've been vaccinated twice. Yep. With, yep. And, uh, and that's okay. Well, nobody really knew if that was okay. Okay. But uh, my doctors and many other doctors would prescribe that, or we okay. would allow their patients to get. Uh, you both. weren't going to like a truck by the I was river. Definitely not going <laughs> to a truck <laughs> down by the nine, river. Gardasil nine on, <laughs> under the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And so, did you feel any after effects? Because I know a lot of people with vaccines. Well, I'm I'm autistic now, right? So <laughs> shut up! Stop doing it. 
Please, Dr. Shah, we want people to listen to the show no matter how they feel about about vaccines. Please, did you feel anything? But no, this no. is but okay. vaccines is not one of those questions around, let's say, you know, what you feel about abortion or something. Okay. It's not a matter of opinion. Yeah, I know. It really isn't a matter of no, opinion. No, I, I get that, but I, I you know what I'm saying, that some people are... No, I, I know, yeah. and I don't want to alienate people, yeah. but this is almost as close to a math problem kind of issue where you're saying one plus one is three. Well, it's not three. Well, you can't think that it's three because it it isn't. And this is one of those things. The evidence is so overwhelmingly on the side of vaccines do not cause autism. And they can sometimes have these minor side effects like soreness or you might be nauseous or dizzy or something like that. But I did not feel any of those side effects after the Gardasil, no. All right, one last thing about (laughs) about the uh, the HPV. I've never read this stat before. So 80 million Americans are infected with some type of HPV and 14 million are newly infected each year. Yeah, it's an easy one to transmit because it's a skin-to-skin transmission, right? So you don't necessarily have to have penetration. Condoms are partially effective Hmm. but not completely effective against it and very often people are completely asymptomatic in fact the vast majority of the time it's not like you can see the cancer or you can even see the wards because most of the time the wards aren't there but you still might be able to transmit the virus and so yeah it's one of those things that is very easy to spread which is why having this vaccine is so critical and why I would recommend it to anybody male or female at pretty much any age I mean at this point you have these nine strains, yeah. right? Nine different strains. Maybe you've gotten exposed to three or four, yeah. but not the other four or five. And so I think it's it would be a great idea if, if you haven't gotten vaccinated and you're having sex with any new partners or you're having sex with partners who are having sex with new partners, yeah. it would be a a good idea to do that. It's funny too. Probably six months from now, we're going to read. It's been approved now from forty-five to sixty-five because now we've only capped it at forty-five. And again, <laughs> yeah, go, I don't going know back, why they capped it yeah, at forty-five. Going back to your original point, people in their fifties—they're uh-huh. still getting on. Doctor <laughs> Shauna, I have a feeling when you're in your fifties, you're going to be pretty much as active as you are now. I, I, I do not doubt that whatsoever. You think? I think you will be going strong at fifty plus. I sure hope you're right. <laughs> sure hope so. All right. So enough about Doctor Shauna and the Jenny McCarthy fan club. Let us <laughs> tell. tell Tell me about our guest today, Dr. Kristen Mitchell. Well, Dr. Kristen Mitchell, who we've had on the show already, is a senior research fellow at the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit at the University of Glasgow. She's a social scientist by background, and her work focuses on social, cultural, and behavioral influences on sexual health and on identifying public health-focused solutions to preventing and addressing sexual health problems. But today, we're not going to talk about sexual health problems. Mm -hmm. We talked about sexual health problems with Dr. Mitchell last time she was on the show. I think that was episode number 10, How Common Are Sexual Problems? (laughs) Okay, so people can look back. Once they're done with this episode, they can go back if they missed it and check out episode 10 of the Science Sex Exactly. But today, we're going to talk to her about a new study that's based on the same big nationally representative sample of UK adults that she talked about last time that has all these amazing questions in it Mm -hmm. and has 15,000 people living in the UK at the moment. So it's a pretty good data set. And this study in particular tries to address this big issue that we've had in sex research that men continue to report more sexual partners on average than women do over their lifetime, which doesn't make sense. Weren't you listening to me earlier when I said that all men are liars? Did you did you just gloss over that whole thing? 
So you're saying the men are lying? All right, sure. The women are lying, are, too. You, you don't think the women are lying? Sure, they are, too. Everybody's lying. Everyone lies. But you think the men are more lying more? Well, I, you know, I think the old adage goes, men are more likely to, to lie up and women mm-hmm. are to lie down. Oh, that sounded Uh-oh. really weird. <laughs> <laughs> please, Dr. John, continue. I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble by somebody. Someone's going to be angry at what I just said, so please. Let me rephrase that. Yes. That men tend to over-report and women tend to under-report. Thank you for the translation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm translating up. Yes. yes <laughs> right <you> now. Always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, should we find out why and how we get this big difference between men and women, which doesn't make sense mathematically speaking. Sure, if you're not going to take my word for it, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> Dr. Kirsten Mitchell, welcome to the Science of Sex podcast. Thank you. It's or, great to be on the show again. Or welcome back, I should say, because this is your second time. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we have a really interesting topic to talk to you about today. And let's establish the facts first. So men consistently report more sexual partners than women. Now, how robust is this finding? How big is this difference? What are we talking about? Like, let's just establish if this is a thing as far as the reporting goes. Okay, so in terms of the reporting, it's consistently found in surveys all over the world, really. So lots of different cultures find that men report more lifetime partners than women. And generally, men report around twice as many lifetime partners as women. Twice as many on average. On average, yeah. Damn. <laughs> and is this is this consistent across sort of times and cultures and samples? This- yeah, so the, the gap has been narrowing over time. So more recent surveys have found smaller differences uh, than previous ones. So the gap generally is declining over time. And it's important to know that the gap is biggest over the lifetime period. So when we see this doubling of a difference between men and women, it's over this longer period of time. So in fact, if you ask about shorter period of time, like partners over the last year, the gender difference is much smaller as well. But over the lifetime, it somehow accumulates. It seems to. Bigger the difference bigger. seems to accumulate over time, yeah, between the two genders. So you're saying, and we can maybe get into that a little bit uh, toward the end, that this difference has been decreasing in size. So it's maybe not double anymore in some younger generations. But in your study, which was a nationally representative sample of something like 15,000 UK adults, right? Is that correct? That's right. Numbers, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the analysis we did was based on the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles, which is a randomly generated um, survey, so fairly representative of the UK population. And that's 18 and over? Yeah, so the sample was 18 to 74, so a really wide age range. And so in this very large nationally representative sample of the UK population ages 18 to 74, the difference in average number of sex partners over the lifetime is still times two. With men reporting, I believe, 14 and women reporting seven on average. Was that correct? That's right. Yeah. So across all the age groups, the average difference yeah, was 14 for men and seven for women. Now, this doesn't seem possible, right? Walk us through some of the the, the logic Mm -hmm. of why this is not quite possible, mathematically speaking. Yeah. So mathematically or statistically, it's not possible. So if you have a defined population with roughly equal men and women and you take a defined 
time period, then the total number of partnerships in that group, and we're just talking here about opposite sex partnership, they have to be the same. Um, and that means that the average number has to be the same as well. So something that we have been asked about in relation to this study is, well, what about if there are um, gay men or lesbian women in the mm -hmm. population and, and how are those people accounted for? But actually, when you're looking at the maths and you're just looking at uh, opposite sex partnerships, then how people identify, so whether they identify as gay or a lesbian or bisexual, that's not actually what what you're looking at. You're looking at what people do, so how they, so the partners that they actually report. So it, it, you could be um, a gay man but still have some female sexual life partners to report and if you if you do then those will 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 count if you have none then those will be zero right and it doesn't affect and, the overall count right and this number this this difference that we mentioned 14 versus 7 on average this is opposite sex partnerships yes so right, we're just right. looking at opposite sex partnerships and the reason we look at opposite sex partnership is because we know that the average number of opposite sex partnerships should be roughly equal right. regardless of how people identify. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Yes, for every every time a man has a female partner, that woman has a male partner as well, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you've got the same number of men and women, then they have to report the same total number of partners and therefore the same average. And in, and the, so UK, that's, in that's, the UK, you do have equal numbers of men and women in the population. So this really should come, come out as to a equal number. Yeah, when you look on a on a sort of at a population right. level, the numbers are, are they certainly suggest a closer average than the one that we find. And so the reason this is really interesting in sex research is because it's one of the few instances where we know what the correct answer should be. <laughs> That's a great point because we almost never have a correct answer. It's always exactly. well, it depends. And different things yeah. for different people. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're always generally relying on self-report in terms of sexual behavior. And we generally have no way of verifying. Um, I mean, there are different experimental um, things you can do to try and detect level of, of, of possible bias. But this is the one thing that where we, where we do know what the correct answer should be. And therefore, it lets us see the extent to which we are getting answers that kind of deviate from that. Right. What we know should should be happening. So I want to ask Joe here because I'm sure he has some hypotheses. Oh, yeah. For why are we seeing this? Why are UK men reporting 14 sex partners, lifetime sex partners on average versus seven for the UK women? What would be your answer They're to lying? this conundrum? They're all lying? They're all lying? They're, everyone is lying in this study. <laughs> this whole thing is a fallacy, Kristen. No. Uh, uh, well, here's my thing. Uh, talking about the numbers, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Jana, is it possible that there's a cluster of men or women that throw the curve off? Could there be one guy who has like 100 partners mm -hmm. as opposed to a guy who has one and then the averages all find a way to that 14? Or is that not possible? Yeah, so... and. You're definitely onto something, Joe, and in fact, that is one of the reasons that we found um, accounted for a proportion of the difference is this idea that there are a small number of men and women that kind of skew the average. So the people at the, the 99th percentile, for instance, and they report a higher number of partners and men more so than women. Okay. And so one of the things we actually did was 
capped the the sample at the 99th percentile to look at what that did to the mean difference and actually that did did bring it down. If you line up 100 men in order of how many sexual partners they report, Mm -hmm. then you're basically excluding the 100th man who's reporting the most partners. So that's the the idea of a percentile. So at the 99th percentile, it's kind of like those who are at the the top end of the distribution. And then you're excluding, you're not excluding, but the the, the 1%, basically, the top 1%, you're not allowing them to have whatever number they put in because some somebody may have put in 10,000 right it. or whatever 5,000 and so what you what they've done and what you often do in these studies that 1% you give them the value of the 99th wow. percent so let's say the 99th percentile was let's say i don't know i don't know if you know what that was in your study but let's say 200 partners then the 1% beyond that all going to get 200. Oh, well, you guys are smart to think of that. (laughs) That's right. And in fact, in our study, that number for men was 110 um, and the number for women was 50. So you see quite a gender difference. At that, um, even at that, yeah. Okay, so we have this sort of mathematical impossibility, yet we're getting these very large differences in average numbers between men and women. So let's go through some of the possible explanations for why we're seeing this big difference. Researchers have been looking at this conundrum over many years. So we're building on a large and really interesting body of research here, and. The research tends to fall into three types of explanation. So there are studies that look at sampling explanations. So they're looking at the idea that certain people might be underrepresented in the sample and that it's those people who are contributing more than others to the possible partner counts. So things like sex workers is something that people have looked at in the past. So they're generally underrepresented in, in surveys, and yet we know that they tend to have more partners than other people in the population. Right. So you might so expect those, that you know some of these partners that the men are reporting are due to, say, a few women who've had maybe a few hundred, but we're not capturing those women. And so their, their numbers are not making it into the female right. average. That's exactly right. So that's a sampling explanation. Another type of sampling explanation would be the the idea that people are including in their count partners that they've had sex with abroad, and those partners wouldn't be eligible for a survey like Mm, Natsal. Tourism sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so whenever there, there is a possible gender difference in those kinds of partners, that could be an explanation for the gap. So that's, those are the sampling explanations. The second group of explanations focus on counting. So what do people count when they think of a sex partner? Are they counting oral sex only partners or are they counting anyone that they've had an intimate encounter at all with? You know, are they just thinking yeah, certain what types of sex? sex? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it comes down to that really difficult question of what counts as sex. And there's quite a lot of research showing that it can be quite varied across different uh, groups and individuals and yeah, then, and then also, of course you have the is is just the tip right you know does that count it went in but we yeah. didn't finish or if you know that whether there was an orgasm or not like that can determine whether people are going to consider that adding to the body count or not absolutely and and it could also be if um it was an encounter that wasn't particularly wanted 
Mm. Um, it was perhaps a forced encounter. Do people count that as a, as a partner or not? That's a really tricky question. Other times it may be about this was maybe um, a relationship that they had outside of their long-term relationship and they perhaps haven't told their partner they feel guilty mm. could they then include that as a count um, we did some qualitative work in which people sort of said how well I haven't told my partner about this partner so I, I didn't really want to tell the survey <laughs> either <laughs> okay so we have some of these issues have to do with what counts as sex well, but then there are also some interesting gender differences in how people give you the number of partners they've had yes so and this is particularly over the lifetime it's much harder to count your lifetime partners than it is to count your partners over the last year it's harder to count if you're older and you've got more years to think through and it's also harder to count if you've got more partners than fewer partners and it does seem to be gender differences in the way that uh, men and women approach the whole how they count so in in Natsal we found that men were more likely to estimate and women to count um that's not to say that all men estimate and all women count by any means so right. um if we just look at those reporting like five to nine partners 24 percent of the men said they estimated uh compared with 15 percent of the women who said Even they counted five to nine partners that's not that many partners people some people are still estimating <laughs> yeah it's interesting and then if you go up to um 10 or more partners the, you know, understandably, the, the percentage mm. who estimated goes up. So 63% of men said they estimated compared with 52% of women. So there's a gender difference there, but it's not huge, but it's enough to make a bit of a difference. Mm. Okay. And, and then when we estimate, we tend to go up in estimation and kind of tend to round up to zeros and fives, right? Nobody estimates, you know, 74 yeah. or <laughs> yeah. 152. That's right. And we can see that with the NatSal data. So if you look at a graph of um, the, the reported number of, of partners, you can see what we call heaping at 10, 15, 20, 25. Mm. So there's big spikes in the numbers reporting those numbers. Right. What we don't know is whether they are rounding up or rounding down mm. so there is a there's a kind of a assumption I think that the men are rounding up and the women are rounding down <laughs> but it's actually quite difficult to to test that right okay and then so the final type or, of possible explanation has to do with what Joe initially would have said which is lying <laughs> Lying <laughs> bastards, all of them. I mean, yeah, it is kind of lying or misrepresenting yourself, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, so I think as researchers, we try and stay away from the term lying just no, because it's, it kind of suggests people are doing it intentionally, whereas actually people can be unaware of the fact that they are rounding up um, rather than rounding down, or they may be aware, but it's not so much that they're lying, they're just feeling social pressures to present themselves in a, a slightly better light, or to feel that they're not kind of going against the norms for their gender or what they feel is expected. Okay, so you did the study with 15,000 people, and you try to get at all of these, to some extent, explanations, right? So other studies have looked at maybe individual ones, but what your study is contributing is kind of trying to test and see what contributes the most kind of thing, almost all. Yeah, that's right. So, well, to our knowledge, yeah, th this is the 
first time that uh, researchers have looked at across all three types. We weren't set up with NATSAL as a methodological study, so we weren't able to look at every single explanation over, and we weren't certainly weren't able to look at them all over the lifetime period. Um, but we did try at least one or two of the possible explanations across the three types. So accounting, sampling, and the kind of idea of misreporting. And so what's the verdict? Well, actually, <laughs> as, I guess, yeah, as, as, as you're going through some of the verdict, tell us how, I guess, how you measured or how you tested some of these three sets of possible explanations. And then what did you find? What, what's to blame? Okay, so I can walk you through it. So, we, so as I said, we weren't able to look at all the explanations in the lifetime period because of the time frame for reportings that we had used in the survey. Um, but under the last year, we were able to look at whether it gender differences and whether people counted um, their oral sex only partners. And actually in NATSAL, we found that men were more likely to exclude their oral sex only partners, which is a bit different to previous what previous research has suggested. So a third of the men said they excluded oral sex only partners and, and 23% of the women. Um, and actually a significantly larger proportion of the men said that they had had um, oral sex only partners. So when you adjust for that in the last year period, actually that um, leads to a slightly increased difference between men and women. Over the last year period, the difference between um, average number of partners reported by men and women is actually 0.23. So it's quite small. And if you include these oral only partners that the men said that they excluded then the gap goes up to 0.28 so that's not be, responsible for the for the big gender difference no, in the direction doesn't that we seem to be the reason see. no so then moving to the last 5 year period we asked about new partners outside of uh, the UK and then partners in the UK who were from abroad. So mm. both those types of partners were ineligible for NATSAL. In fact, men do report more of these types of partners than women. So um, 8.3 uh, um, reported by men and 4.5 among women. So when you exclude these new partners from outside UK or in UK, but from abroad, that brings the difference between the means in the last five years from 0.82 to 0.67. So that does seem to be part of the explanation um, in the five-year period. Did you have this for the lifetime period abroad, partners abroad? We, did, we didn't, unfortunately. Okay. So we can say that it looks like it could be potentially part of the explanation, right. but we weren't able to add it into our kind of calculations over the lifetime. So are these guys like so, uh, are they staked out outside the airport? All all you UK guys are waiting for all these foreign women. It was to... only eight <laughs> percent. I didn't know if there, there's a bunch of like British men just hanging around Heathrow waiting for people to get off planes to hook up with. You, you really you really can can find people from abroad okay. elsewhere, not just at the okay. airport. I mean, the airport can be a fun place oh, to do that. Let me checking. tell you. About. I, I didn't know if that was a thing. I just wanted to ask Kristen there. Well, I think there is that thing of kind of going on holiday and um, that sort of, you know, you're looking for a bit of fun. Um, and so you're, you're maybe in a bit, bit, you know, you're away from work and all those things back home. So maybe you are up for a bit more. Mm-hmm. Fun and excitement in in terms of your your sexual life. So, but it does seem to be 
a phenomenon slightly more common uh, for men than women. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so over the lifetime period, we start with this difference between the male mean and the female mean of, of, of seven. And if we cap these people at the 99th percentile, then that comes down to 5.47. So we see quite a a big reduction if we exclude those people who are reporting the kind of very high end number of partners. So we found that was 110 for men and 50 for women. So that does bring it down a fair bit. Um, The next thing we did was after the capping, we excluded paid for partners. Mm. And that then brings the difference between mean downs again, but not by so much. So it brings it down from 5.47 to 5.11. So it's not such a, a great drop if you exclude paid for partners. So then the next thing we did was adjust for counting strategy. So we adjusted for the fact that men had a kind of predisposition to estimate and women to count and again that brought it down a fair bit from 5.1 to 3.24 oh wow so estimating so that does, does play a big role a difference yeah and then if you do all through um, then the next thing we did was uh, adjust for sexual attitudes because we found um, in that style that women tended to have more conservative attitudes mm. than women mm. so they were less likely to view not one night stands is not wrong. And they were more likely to view a married person having sex with someone other than his or her partner as always wrong. And actually, when you adjust for those gender differences and attitudes, that we also see a drop. When we take those three explanations together, we get down to 2.63. Meaning men report about 2.5 more sexual partners on average lifetime compared to women. Once all those three things have been taken into account. So that's the capping the extreme numbers of partners, adjusting for counting strategy and adjusting for sexual attitudes appears to explain about two thirds of the difference. Okay. And we're still left with a bit of a difference. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think is left that was not captured by the set of measures that you had, which of the explanations do you think would be then most responsible for for further decreasing that that gender difference that remains? So we've got kind of a third of the difference still left unexplained. I suspect that our attempt to kind of capture this idea of um, unintentional or intentional misreporting by gender norms, we possibly underestimated the impact of that because we were adjusting for these sexual attitudes, but it wasn't, I don't think, the strongest proxy for that idea of people conforming to gender norms. So I think that we may have underestimated the impact Mm. of that. We weren't able to include um, or adjust for this idea of men having more partners from outside the UK, because we were only able to look at that in the five-year period. So I think if we included that, that would that would bring it down a bit more. And I also think that we possibly um, weren't able to explore as much this idea of what counts as a sexual partner. So we were able to look at oral-only sex uh, right. partners, but I think there may be other gender differences in how men and women are counting. <laughs> Or, ca- what yeah. counts as a partner? Yeah, I think there might be some wider gender differences that need more um, exploration. But it seems to me that probably all of these factors contribute, right? 
I think is, is that the fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's just difficult to tease them all out because it's it has been very hard to look at them all together within the same sample and get the relative contribution of each. Right. Well, okay. So I think maybe we have a little better sense of why we're seeing this difference. Some of it has to do with statistics. Some of it has to do with these mental strategies that people have for how they count and what they count. And then some of it has to do with the social norms that are pressuring men and women in different directions. And the final verdict will have to wait. As we say, further research required. (laughs) Further research required, yes. (laughs) Great. Well, uh, Kristen Mitchell, thank you so much for being on the Science of Sex podcast again. And hopefully we'll have you back for a third time. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's lovely to chat. All right, so Dr. Jana, now that she's now that she, we've disconnected from from Skype, what do you think the actual number is? So the guys in this study is fourteen, women is seven. So what is the Dr. Jana number? You think? I mean, I would say it's probably somewhere in the middle. In, you know. Like tenish. Yeah, tenish. Ten, ten, and right. yeah, ten and a half would be the exact middle. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, ten, ten, somewhere between ten and eleven. Yeah. <laughs> is there any way we can get to that number like accurately? Is it possible, or do you don't think this kind of study it's possible? Uh, unless you attach cameras to people <laughs> from the moment they begin to have sex or any kind of sexual activities and just follow them over time with this camera and they can't fake it and they can't turn it off and they okay. can't get rid of it. But aside from that, it's really almost so impossible no. to know exactly <laughs> the accurate number. No, it's always going to be based on self-report, Yeah. right? And self-report is always to some extent going to be unreliable. Cool. All right. Well, something that is reliable <laughs> is that we're here every week with new episodes. That's uh, <laughs> true. And no matter what it takes, we will have a new episode every week as some people have no idea what it takes to get some of these episodes on, but we will guarantee we were back next week and uh, we're going to have a celebrity guest. We have Wednesday Martin coming Ooh. on the show to talk about what she learned from interviewing sex scientists. She herself is not yeah. a researcher, but she interviewed lots of them for her new book called Untrue about female infidelity. So I'm really excited about that. All right. So Wednesday Martin is going to be here next week in studio. In studio, yes. We are going to have a gay old time, as they say. In the meantime, I hope you uh, rate and review this podcast if you like what you hear. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Go to patreon.com slash drjana. And also, you know, we get all the information on our website, which is handy dandy. We should mention it multiple times. You can get the Patreon link there. You get the link to our episodes. Contact us any which way possible right through sciencesexpodcast.com. Dr. Jana, it yes. was delightful hanging out with you again. <laughs> we had some technical difficulties, people, so we've, we're a little tired. Yeah, we're tired. All right, but you know what? <sighs> It happens. As I said, guarantee, we are back, we are back. next week. Dr. Jana, bye-bye. Bye. To connect with Dr. Jana and Joe, go to the scienceofsexpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Science of Sex Pod and follow us on Facebook at the Science of Sex Podcast. Subscribe now to listen to the weekly podcast.